Alrighty, hello, I'm Zach, uh, I do AV here, and today's sermon scripture is Genesis 2 verses 15 through 25. Alrighty, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat, it, if you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whether the man, whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now, this is one of, now one of my bones the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I always love uh, different seating arrangements on Sunday morning. On this side, the chairs are filled and, the, and there's less in the pews. On that side, the pews are filled and there's less in the chairs. So. Patterns, I don't know. Are, are there, you know, sociological explanations for these things? I don't know. But anyways, we are in August going to have a little mini-series, a short series, a new series, moving on from the Holy Spirit, um, Holy Spirit series and going to another look at women in the Bible. And so uh, it's going to be a four-part series, month of August. And, you know, I was, I was really kind of self-conscious of speaking about another look at women in the Bible and being the only person speaking about women in the Bible. So we're gonna bring, we're lucky to have and blessed to have talented women speakers, preachers come in, uh, Allison next week and then Denise um, on week four. So it's gonna be a good time and we'll see how it goes. But I am going to look at Eve, um, Adam and Eve of Adam and Eve in and, and scripture, and you know, Eve, probably along with Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, is one of the most written about women in the Bible. And there's a lot, a lot of kind of cultural or traditional takes on Eve, what what the relationship means, what what you know, how God created man and woman to be. What, what is the dynamic between them? Who's in charge? Maybe, we've had, maybe you've had a lot of discussions at home about, oh, who's in charge? Who did God put in charge? And whatnot. 
And uh, I remember um, growing up in the church, going to Sunday school as a kid, Adam and Eve being like one of the main, you know, stories that I can remember or main stories that we learn um, in Sunday school. And basically, like, let's review, like, what is like the main parts of the story, right? Adam, you know, God created a man or a person, Adam, and it wasn't good that Adam was lonely, so he said, okay, let's take Adam's, you know, rib away from his side and we'll make Eve so Adam will have a suitable helper and a partner because none of the animals, you know, passed the test or passed the interview for being Adam's helper, so now there's two people and they become, you know, the mother and father of humanity. Um, and then there was the serpent in the garden because God said, you can do anything, right? Do anything in this garden and it's full of fun stuff. There's rivers, there's waterfalls, there's cliffs that you can jump from into very crystal clear ponds and there's fruit and trees, plenty to eat. You get to name all these animals, blah, 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 blah. Um, but one thing, one thing, don't eat from the fruit of this tree, right? Like that's the one thing you can't do, but alas, there's the serpent in the garden and the serpent tricks Eve, because Eve is this gullible person, right? And easily tricked into eating this apple from the tree of knowledge. And, and then she tempts Adam to eat uh, of the apple, and they, and that's the fall of humanity, right? That's the beginning of sin, the fall of humankind, and from there on, people were cursed, and we're constantly, you know, making the decision between right and wrong, sin or God, and, and whatnot. So that's the story, um, give or take a few details. But I wanted to kind of hear from you what you remember of the story. Um, if you know the Adam and Eve story, Genesis 2, uh, which Zach read from, and, and Genesis 3. So I have some... Adam and Eve trivia questions, all right? Adam and Eve trivia questions. Adam and Eve trivia. So, and feel free to answer. Who was the first human created? Anyone, anyone, anyone? Adam? Cammie? Me? Eve? Oh. How many say Adam? Raise your hand. Eve. Both. Okay. Well, actually, yeah, from what we just read, um, we can deduce that Adam was the first human created. But actually, there's two, um, two stories of the creation of humanity. <laughs> um, in Genesis 1, and then Genesis 2. So in Genesis 1, um, you get that God created Adam and Eve together simultaneously on the sixth day at the same time, right? And then in Genesis 2, maybe that's a more general kind of bird's eye view of things. And then in Genesis 2, you get a kind of detailed look into 
how that creation happened or what was going on behind the scenes. Um, so a lot of people look at that and say, ah, you know, they're created on the same day, they're created at the same time. Or, so it can be a trick question, like in Genesis 1, actually, it doesn't tell you who was what order, right? In Genesis 2, we get more uh, detail about what's going on. Okay, next question. You guys did all right, all right. What does the word or name Adam mean in Hebrew? Anyone? 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 <laughs> he said whom? Human. Yay, that's what it means. It actually means human, right? So the so when you're reading the creation story, it's kind of like is, is when we hear Adam, is it referring to Adam as in general human beings, humankind, because that's what Adam means in, in other parts of the Old, Old Testament. Also, Adam sounds a lot like Adama, right? And Adama means earth. So as Adam's being created, like Adam, humankind, came from the earth. So humanity came from the earth. So there's a play definitely on Adam and Adama in the creation story. Um, but Adam can also be used just for the general human being, humankind. All right. So we got that question right. Third trivia question. What kind of fruit was forbidden and eaten? by Eve. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, it doesn't say. Anyone else have a sh shot? Cammy. A what? Okay. Mango? That's a good guess. Mango, yeah. Very prolific. If you live in Hawaii, you used to have a mango tree in Hawaii. There is, like, mangoes are like, when you're here, they're expensive and you love them. And if you have a mango tree in Hawaii, you're like, it can't get rid of these fast enough. They're just on the ground rotting and like, oh my gosh. Um, embarrassment of riches. Okay, some said, some, Margaret, right? <laughs> What's your name? Kathy, there we go. I knew it was Margaret or Kathy in that area. Catherine Margaret, it comes, goes together. Um, okay, it doesn't say, well, most art that you see, right, has an apple, right? So when you, you Google Adam and Eve or Garden of Eden, and I'll guarantee you that if any fruit is there depicted, it's an apple. But actually, Catherine is correct, it actually doesn't say. So where do we get apple? Where do we get apple? What? Yeah, it's a common fruit. But why don't we have, oh, it was durian. It was a durian tree. Do durian, does durian grow on trees? Exactly, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Some people, it depends on your taste, right? It depends on where you come from, right? Or mango, why not mango? Why not cherries? Why not? Jackfruit, why not guava, passion fruit, apple, right? 
So this tells us, right, that in our psyche, in our memories, we picture a certain scene when we think about Adam and Eve. We think about the fruit is apple because apple is a common fruit in our culture or apple is a common fruit in our region. Or for the interpreters or the painters or whoever wrote about Adam and Eve, whoever painted about Adam and Eve, knew about apples and drew apples, right? Would you say that? But the scripture doesn't say. And so what I'm wondering as we take this second look at Adam and Eve, are there other things that we assume about Adam and Eve and the creation story that are part of our cultural interpretation, our traditional interpretations in the church, or early church fathers writing about this from one cultural lens that are actually a part of the biblical text? Are you with me, church? aren't actually a part of the biblical text. So let's go to the next trivia question. Uh, where's my trivia question? Oh, it's up there. Does the serpent have legs? No. Yes. Yes? Yes? The answer is yes, because afterwards, what happens? Go ahead. Yeah, so the serpent's going to crawl on its belly because of what the serpent did. That's correct. So can you imagine, like, so, but look at this. Uh, Once again, look at this painting. Once again, if you look at uh, other paintings of Adam and Eve, the serpent is going to be like a snake, right? You don't see a lizard or iguana up there. That's what I imagine when I imagine a snake with legs, right? Next question, true or false? The serpent and Eve were alone when they spoke. False? No? False? It doesn't say? Anyone else? Okay. That's a good one. So yeah, in Genesis 3, 8, or 3, 6, it says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, uh, that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. So, yeah, I mean, you could say in the initial contact with the serpent in the conversation, you could say it doesn't say, but the moment that she takes the fruit and eats it, she's with, uh, Adam is with her, right? And I think in the, the, the traditional kind of, like that always blew my mind when I, when I got that detail, right? Adam was there with them. And I, I imagine, I can assume that Adam is there in that whole, what if Adam was there in that whole conversation, right? 
He's there when the serpent is talking with Eve. They're theologizing about what did God really say. And he's there, you know, chilling, whatever, not saying anything. And then they're having this conversation. Eve offers the fruit to Adam. He takes it. But there's not a word that comes from Adam. What, is, what does that mean? Right? Because I think if you go back to the early church fathers, even churches now, when, you, when we interpret Eve, you often see Eve or hear Eve described as, right, the one who tempts Adam. The one, the one who made Adam sin, right? The, the, the starter or the catalyst of the fall. If it weren't for Eve, right, we wouldn't have sinned. It was Eve's fault, right? But what does it do for us that Adam was there in that conversation, right? Does it, does it mean Eve was this seductress, temptress that made Adam do this, that tricked and deceived Adam? That she's the gullible one, that she's culpable in the situation? Or does the silence of Adam or the passiveness, you can read it as passive, I don't know why he's not in this conversation, right? But he's not, he's the, on the receiving end of what Eve gives her and he just says, okay. So does that make Eve a temptress? Um, so I'm gonna just read some quotes from early Christian fathers on Eve. And, and what I want us to say of this is that of a painting of the picture of Eve that comes out of a cultural lens. How men and women are in the culture, right? In the Christian culture or what have you, and how that affects the reading of Eve. Because there's scripture, right? And then there's a cultural lens. And to say that we're not affected by our own cultural lens when we approach scripture, that's not, that's not true at all. We're always affected by our cultural lens, right? So we have to kind of read. And then the question is, what, what kind of affects how we view, like even, even behind, in the back of my head, how I approach Adam and Eve and sin and original sin, like is there any element of, oh, it's because I see women in this way or I see the wom a woman as the source of sin for me that I interpret things in this way, and then I say, yes, that's, it says it in the Bible. So Tertullian, the father of Latin Christianity, 155 to 245, and do you not know that you are each speaking to women, and Eve, the sentence of God on this sex of yours, lives in this age, the guilt uh, must of necessity live too, you are the devil's gateway. You are the unsealer of the forbidden tree. You are the first deserver of the divine law. You are the she who persuaded him whom the devil was not valiant enough to attack. <laughs> the serpent wasn't brave enough to attack Adam, so he went after Eve. You destroyed so easily God's image, man, on account of your desert, that is, death. Even the Son of God had to die. 
And do you think about adorning yourself over and above your tunics of skins? That's Tertullian. Augustine, Saint Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, um, 354 through 430. What is the difference whether it is in a wife or a mother? It is still Eve, temp the temptress, that we must beware of in any woman. Whoa, that's intense. Martin Luther, right? The father of the Reformation, Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. For woman seems to be a creature somewhat different from man in that she has dissimilar members, a varied form, and a mind weaker. Gee, she has a varied form. Mind weaker than man. Although Eve was a most excellent and beautiful creature like unto Adam in reference to the image of God, that is with respect of, to righteousness, wisdom, and salvation, yet she was a woman. For as the sun is more glorious than the moon, though the moon is, most glor is a most glorious body, so woman, though she was a most beautiful work of God, yet she did not equal the glory of the male creature. Okay? The Eve was the moon to Adam's son. Um, again, Martin Luther. Now Moses shows that the woman was created afterwards in order that she might, oh, I think this is actually Calvin. Yeah, John Calvin. Uh, now Moses shows that the woman was created afterwards in order that she might be a kind of appendage to the man and that she was joined to the man on, on the express condition that she should be at hand to render obedience to him. Since therefore God did not create two chiefs of equal power, but added to the man an inferior aid, the apostle Paul justly reminds us that the order of creation in which the eternal and inviolable appointment of God is strikingly displayed. All right, so there's definitely, you know, a bias against Eve and like a favoritism towards men in the early church fathers. And we have to ask ourselves, right? How have we been influenced, right? In our uh, scriptural interpretations and in how we view men and women in the church, how we say, oh, God says, or the Bible says, men and women should be like this, or sh should do this and hold this role and this role. Um, and the creation story, right, Genesis 2 and 3, is one of the primary places. Of course, people go to Paul, right, and, you know, there's more. I'm not going to address Paul uh, right now, but in terms of the creation stories, there's reasons that people interpret um, Genesis in certain ways, and, and I... Um, my, my kind of thesis is that we're influenced by culture, you know, a lot, a lot. So let's go to this, like, I, I think Calvin mentioned this order, right? So in creation, we see, it was one of the questions, right? Adam was created before Eve, right? In fact, maybe there was an intent of God to even create woman, right? At first, it was... Adam, and then later God's like, oh, it's not good for, you know, Adam to be alone. Let's make for him a suitable helper, right? So in terms of birth order or creation order, um, Adam first, then Eve. 
Um, our, culturally, we're, we are kind of conditioned to think that whatever comes first, right, is the superior thing, right? Like, oh, that, like, I'll give, a, I'll give an example. When you, you know, here's a couple, a family. When you say, oh, so-and-so are coming to my, our house to have dinner, do you say Jen and Brian or Brian and Jen? For some, you might be like, oh, I, I put the first syllable first, first syllable name first and the second syllable, two-syllable name second because it sounds better, right? Jen and Brian. But a lot of us naturally, I think about like, oh my gosh, I should say Brian and Jen because maybe the man will feel disrespected because why did I put the woman first, right? I'm thinking this in my head. But then what if they're like progressive, feminist, like why did you have to put the man first, right? So I'm like thinking about these things and so we just put the man first, right? When I do weddings, I, I don't think, you know, I never thought about asking who do you want me to announce or how do you want me to announce you? And just doing a lot of young adult weddings in the past, it's like people have different things that they want you to say. One couple is like, I want you, I'm not taking this last name, say my name with my last name and his name. Because usually the tradition is, right, introducing Mr. Mrs. David Sim, right? You say the man's name and his last name, David Sim, not Mr. David Sim and Janice Lee, you're, you're a married couple. And so there's this natural tendency for us to put male first or take and give the male's name, right? And I'm not, just listen to me here, I'm not saying you're, the way you run your family or the way you relate to one another, some of that's personality, some of that is your preference, right? I'm just saying that in history or in, in most of history, the bias is towards the man is first, which means the woman is subservient. And that's what traditional interpretation of the order of creation com, comes, comes out of, right? Because Eve came out of Adam, you know, Paul writes about that, because Eve came out of Adam, because Eve was second and Adam was first, she is subservient to Adam, right? Have you heard that? Yes, right? But if you look at creation, humanity itself, when, was human, when were human beings created? What day? Were they created first? No, they were created last on the sixth day, right? You know, sky, light, night, you know, water, land, sky, land, and then animals and birds and fish, and then humanity. So if it's about order, who comes first is superior, then human beings should be, by that token, coming last, right? The bottom of creation. But that's not true. The pattern is, on this day, created, God saw that it was very good, this is very good, rested, or day, night, and then the next day, and the next day, and the next day, it's good, it's good, it's good. And actually, when humanity is created, 
it's not like it's good, like it's finished. It's more like it's not good that this person is alone. Or you can see it as humanity is the culmination of God's creative work, right? Animals, the sky, and in every, every kind of bit of creation, there is this relationship, a relationship between two things, right? The sky and the earth, the light and the day, the fish and the birds, like there's this interaction, there's this relating, and God and God's self is communal. We talked about this, right, a few weeks ago, communal and relational, interacting, right? The trinity, perichoresis, the dance. And so in humanity, Humanity in God's image is not complete unless there's relationship. And humanity is a culmination of creation, and that's why God says, right, to you I give dominion, or, right, the word dominion over the animals, over all creation, you know, fill the earth, subdue it, multiply and be fruitful, right, the creation mandate. Um, so what if we looked at it like that? Why would we say order has to do with whether they're dominant or subservient, right? Because in creation order, humanity comes last. So by that token, you could say woman, Eve, is actually the culmination of God's creation of humanity, right? It's incomplete. He doesn't say that's very good. He says something's missing. Right? And just because something comes second or after the fact doesn't mean it's less, right? It's, it's not primary. It means like the whole point, I think, of this, we got to get what's the point? The point is intimacy at creation, is intimacy and relationship. How do we relate to the created world? How do we relate to God? And how do we relate to one another? And that's like, Right? Togetherness. Are you with me, church? I'm trying to skate. I don't know where people come from. <laughs> I'm just, my perspective of the scripture as I see it. Uh, uh, dominion, right? We mentioned that word. You will have dominion. Other translators or other commentators say stewards. You shall steward the earth. We like that better because it's more like be responsible, care for the earth. Um, I think the word dominion um, has kind of grown a life of its own through the early church fathers and commentators and uh, theologians over time, meaning we take it to mean what it sounds like, right? Dominate, right? Yeah, God was saying the Garden of Eden you, this is your playground, right? There is an off-road site there so you can take your big wheel truck and like mess everything up and get muddy, right? You can eat whatever you want from this. Just don't go over there, don't eat that. But whatever you want, this is your playground. Dominate it, dominate it. You are the paragon of all creation. You are my, made in my image. You are the prince of creation. You, this is all for you. Go, take, consume, eat. See those, that woods over there? Just, you can have fun, right? Just don't eat of the tree of knowledge, 
but burn, start a forest fire, like just for fun. It's all yours, right? Go over there and pollute the waters. Go defecate over there in that river. It's fine, right? It's all yours. It's your playground to do whatever you want. You dominate. You have dominion over this. Dominate it. It seems like sometimes that's how we view our relationship with creation, right? That it's there for us to dominate. But it is closer to the word steward, right? Take care of. Just as I take care of the world, just as I serve and take care of you, also take care of the animals and serve the world responsibility, love, right? Care. Care for everything around you, not consumption, right? And if we, I think that just gets mixed up in our people relationships too, right? You are in charge or you're over or you're superior means dominate to us. I don't have to prove this to you. Look at history, right? Even extra biblically, look at history. Nations dominating nations, rulers dominating people, men dominating women, right? We see it all the time. And it's actually irresponsible and not living into our creation mandate, our call. Okay, then you could say, well, helper. What about this helper piece, right? It's not good for man to be alone. Let's create for him a suitable helper. Isn't helper, right? I, I'm Dave. I'm the lead pastor of Renew. You know, I, there's all these details that just dragged me down. I need to do the important work of preaching and evangelism and like running the church. So I need a helper, right? Can we hire an administrative assistant or like something, a church secretary, how about that, to be my helper? And when we read the, the Hebrew word is azer, right? I'm right, right? <laughs> Where's my notes? I'm going off notes, so it doesn't matter. As Azer, I think it is, E-Z-E-R, is helper. Let's create a suitable helper. Um, we tend to think, oh, like an assistant or someone, again, someone less, right? But we know that in other parts of scripture, the same word Azer is given to modify or describe God himself, is the servant of Israel, is the helper to Israel. It's actually a position that God holds a role that God holds, and is, it doesn't say he's any less or he's inferior or, or subordinate to. Just because you're a helper doesn't mean you're less than, right? It just, it's like, again, the piece I want to go back to is the point of all this is intimacy, partnership, and relationship. It is not good for Adam to be alone. Let's give him someone to collaborate with. He needs someone to partner together, right? It's not just Adam was made in the image of God and it's like 
in stasis. Like that's the image of God, an etching set in gold. No, the image of God, like what God is, human reflecting godness is in the relational, is in the fullness of relationship. Does that make sense? Like man and woman together, people together relating. What? Ease there. I did that. Naked and ashamed. Uh, if anyone's uh, watched the show Naked and Afraid, I'm like, play, it's a play on that, naked and, and not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. So this whole notion, like, I was looking for, like, art that de de uh, portrayed Adam and Eve at creation, but I was like, there's going to be kids in the service. Like, there's hardly any pictures that you can, you know, do. And I felt, you kind of feel like ashamed. Like, I can't, why? Why are you ashamed? Well, we're naked, right? Which me, in our heads, it's like, oh, like sexuality. It's like, that's mature. Like, oh, it's a, it's a social shame or let's hide this stuff, right? And there is that kind of feeling in like kind of the, our cultural or traditional kind of depictions of Adam and Eve or Eve in particular, that when you look at the snake and when you look at Eve, there's this kind of sexuality mixed in with the temptation and seductiveness. Does that make sense? Like somehow Eve, the way that she got Adam to sin and disobey was some sort of sexual seduction. And I'm like, is that in the scripture? Because what does it say in the scripture, right? At the end, or the very last part of chapter 2, it says, and Adam and Eve were naked, but what? But they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. So that whole, we're bringing our notion of nakedness and seduction into nakedness, right? But they were not ashamed because they were fully intimate and enjoyed the fruits of God's creation, including one another, without fear, without, you know, shame, without guilt. They just enjoyed one another and they were not ashamed. It's only after eating the fruit when God is looking for them in chapter 3 in the garden that they're like, we're naked and we're afraid, <laughs> right? So just like the TV show, they started looking for clothing and they started looking for shelter to hide in, right? Um, but that is not there. But in, from our cultural lens, the, the cultural lens of history, we tend to be like, the only reason a man, mankind, or man would fail or stumble is if we're tempted by a woman. And that still goes on. We might not put religious things on it, but we, we're still like that, right? 
whether we struggle, uh, I'm talking to the men here, with lust or whatever, our, our projection, we tend to project on women and say, why did she dress, why does she dress that way, right? She made him do that. And so, in that sense, women become the sin, right? The object of the sin, rather than the sinner or the person, man, owning up to what's inside us, right? And so that kind of projection is placed on Eve, right? She seduced him. The seductress, the gateway to the fall, the gateway to Satan. And that's what women are, right? And so women must not speak in the church, and so women must not preach in the church, and so women must not lead to the church because it'll lead, lead to the fall of the church, the fall of men. This is cultural interpretation upon scripture and not the scripture itself. Um, it's interesting, right? If we're, think, if we're looking at creation and we're thinking about who is speaking, who is the, theologizing, right? If Adam is with Eve and Eve is the one actively speaking with the serpent, what does that mean? Like, is it about personality? Oh, Adam was kind of like, you know, an introvert or, you know, like an inside, internal processor and Eve just blurted things out and like conversed with people, right? And so her and the serpent were just talking, right? The traditional interpretation is because Eve is weak, that was the gateway the serpent took, right? And then she could seduce humanity or mankind. Man. But what if we are like, she was doing theology, right, with the snake. Did God really say? Well, I don't know. God just is, God just did that, said that, so you wouldn't be too powerful. Are you really going to die if you disobey God? Eve was like, I, I don't know. Right? And then you can interpret it as Adam took her word for it. Right? But there's nothing in the scripture that's like, oh, men are smarter and should, you know, be the ones leading in this situation or the ones who get it more. Right? Actually, the, you know, if I were to choose who's the leader out of Adam and Eve, I'd probably, as a mentor and discipler, I'd be like, you know, I'm choosing Eve, right? She's with it. Uh, she's the leader in the situation. Eve is wearing the pants in the family right here. That's a way to look at it. There's, there's not, I think if you kind of just look at it, there's no like gender, like, you know, you take this on and you take that on, right? And so what, is it, what, are, what do the curses mean, right? The curses in scripture, are they 
like this. Are they what we should be focusing on? Like, should Christians live the curse? Like, we're meant to toil. Men are going to toil the earth and work hard, and we're going to be fighting for respect. Women are going to be, ah, it's going to suck when we give birth to be pregnant, give child labor, and we're going to, our desire will be for a husband. We'll, we'll be so, like, emotional and, like, dependent on the husband. We, my desire is for you, right? Like, if that's, like, what's written in the curse, but does that mean, as Christians, looking ahead, right, to our future hope, what's the Christian hope? That we continue to live in that, right? We fight for those types of things when it's actually not the way things were intended, right? The things that, the way that things were intended was that Adam and Eve were together without shame and intimate and like working together, collaborating. And they were walking with God very closely and talking with him and not hiding from God. That's how it was meant to be. Not, oh, and you will toil the earth and you will, not this gender split, right, that happens. Not this war that happens. That's sinfulness. So in the church, why do we say that's the way it should be, right? Actually, we should have the vision for what was intended to be, which is shamelessness, intimacy, partnership, not hiding from one another, right? Are you with me, church? That, that hits me more than anything. It's like, what are we supposed to be shooting for? Right? Are we supposed to be shooting for, you are this, you are a woman, so you, that's your role, that's your place. You know, stay in your lane. And I'm a man, so I should be the one preaching, I should be on the elder board, I should be the head of the household. Ha! Right? No, that's, once again, I would say the not redeemed vision. What's the restored, redeemed vision? Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, scripture and community and uh, our minds and our hearts able to approach scripture afresh and anew. Maybe for some of us it's not fresh or new, but confirming and affirming for us. Um, but we also confess the ways that um, we're affected and influenced and biased by culture, by generation, by age, by media, all of these things. And so um, even as I speak, I'm aware of my own limitations, my own background, my own biases. Um, and so I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us. And as a community, we would be able to glean together what's important and what's true about how we are to relate with one another and how we are to relate with you. Help us to take a second look, another look at these women in scripture um, that will be um, highlighted. And if there's anything for us to, be, to gain or to, to be changed in our heart, will you start to work on that? In, in us as individuals.
in Jesus' name.